What's good, visionaries? Welcome to episode 11 of Calm Conversations About Learning, where we lean in to re-envision our children's education through insightful and humanizing perspectives with the folks who matter most, parents, teachers, and of course, our young folks. I'm your host, Zanani, parent, Bibi, and educator for life, and I believe that educating and relating are synonymous and that it will take a village of visionaries to truly educate our children. Now, this episode is a detour of sorts. I want to share a piece that I wrote last year about my memory of ninth grade. It's in dedication to my belief about the need for a village of visionaries because the village has been sick. It's been sick for so long. And, you know, it's it's become like this dull toothache. It throbs, but you can't afford to see a dentist or worse, you're too busy to make an appointment but you're still eating all kinds of stuff that makes that toothache worse. So it goes on and on until infection sets in. And this village, y'all, this village that we keep saying is needed to raise our babies, it's infected. Recently, my friend, sister, and fellow podcaster, Rakia Michelle Akua, shared a post with me that came from a Black high school teacher. Now, this teacher describes an incident in which a student does not have his class supplies, and he has been sitting there for several minutes without informing the teacher that he doesn't have his supplies. Not that this would matter, because the teacher has a policy that she does not have any extra supplies, and she does not give out extra supplies. Maybe a crayon to write with if the students can find one. But yeah, no sense in asking this teacher for supplies. So when the teacher confronts the student and responds with ambivalence to his situation, a classmate steps up and offers to share her supplies, but the teacher won't allow it. Nope, this teacher is not having it. Basically, if you were taught to share in kindergarten, it doesn't count in high school, not when the teacher is determined to teach a lesson. And this teacher apparently had decided to do just that. This student did not have his school supplies for whatever reason. We don't know the reason, and I wonder if his teacher even knew the reason. Her concern certainly wasn't evident in the post. But I believe that on some deep and dark level, she knew she was foul. And I think that her posting the incident in the educator Facebook group to which she belonged was proof of this. Because when you're doing your best for children, even when you have to set them on the right path, you don't need to check in with others for validation. You don't need to defend your actions or prove that you're right. You know why? Because it's not about being right. It's not about power struggles with the children that you're responsible for teaching. It's about teaching and letting them know that even when they might not care, that you care that they learn. But what lessons do we want them to learn? Do y'all remember Nina Campbell? Nina was a little Black girl. This was like back in 1996. She was a kindergartner and she was in South Carolina, I believe. And she had this white teacher who decided to write a note to Nina's mother reminding her to send Nina's eyeglasses. She wrote this note on Nina's face. She wrote this note on Nina's face with a blue marker. 
I remember that there was quite a lot of controversy surrounding whether this individual should continue to teach children. After all, she was a teacher and teachers, well, they teach lessons, even if those lessons are directed at parents. But what if the lesson is not a lesson at all? What if it's a sign that you are infected with a need to shame children and show how smart you are? In episode 10, during my convo with Renice Washington, I said that there are folks who shouldn't be teaching children. And while I know firsthand the challenges of being a public school educator, and I certainly didn't get it right with students all the time, I just do not believe that there is any excuse to shame and traumatize children as a practice or to make a point. There is no excuse for refusing to give a child a pencil or a sheet of paper. There is no excuse to write, where are my glasses on a child's face? And while these two incidents seem like they're at two crazy ends of a cruel spectrum, they are actually quite close because they're creating like this hostile space where children cannot trust a teacher with their education. And to me, it's that it's the same thing. And when the lesson becomes more important than the child, when the lesson really ain't a lesson at all, I will say it again and again, that teacher needs to get out of the classroom. Almost 200 years of educating Black and Indigenous children and the public school village is still sick. This kind of pettiness, this kind of smallness makes me so angry, but also so sad. And this is one of my reasons why. I cannot bother with the good apple argument when it simply is not the point. When too many black, brown, and indigenous children continue to languish, and now it's just a matter of whether they're languishing online or in a school building. So I wanted to share my memory of ninth grade because I wanted to remind myself and all us visionary teachers and parents that we have a village to build from the ground up from wherever we live, and for all our children. I was in the ninth grade in 1979, y'all. This is 2021. And as I recorded my memory of being a 14-year-old little Black girl in these public schools, I found myself asking, what's changed in 42 years? Anyway, here's my story. I remember ninth grade, the year that I learned to disappear inside a tall brick building in Chicago, endless floors and a thousand classrooms. I remember the taste of copper on my upper lip from the pelting of shiny pennies. I remember the taunting chant, freshy, freshy, as we high school newbies staggered up the stairs and through the corridors while trying to find the room numbers on our course schedules. I remember a hand dropping a copy of Huckleberry Finn on the desk in front of me. But I don't remember the face or the voice attached to that hand. I only remember that I was to read this thick book full of Southern dialect that included repeatedly a word that I was never allowed to use in my house. No reason, no rhyme, no context, just read the book. I remember the first day of P.E. 
eyes glassy but refusing to cry in front of strangers, trembling brown body stuffed inside a blue one-piece swimsuit, white towel wrapped tightly around my waist as if it would save me from drowning. I remember the voice barking, Taylor, get in the pool. I had been in tubs, water sprinklers, and shallow parts of beach water, but had never dove into or even dipped my toe into a swimming pool. I remember that just as I was about to succumb to the tears, a calloused hand on the bareness of my back pushing me into the deep end. I remember the gulping, the flailing, the scream that fought to escape my throat, but I don't remember who pulled me out. I only remember that barking voice saying, Taylor, you're going to learn to swim even if it kills you. And I believed that it would. I remember that by late September, my best friend had abandoned me for a boy. I remember that by late October, I no longer had a daddy. I remember by early November, my mother had attempted suicide again. I remember that as piece by piece of me began to disappear, I started to show up less and less to the tall brick building with the grisly voices and the ambivalent hands. But I don't remember where I went. I do remember finding places where I could read, where I could write, places where I could be in my body for just a little while. I do remember words like lazy and ungrateful from the adults who were raising and schooling me. I do remember that I vowed never again to read books without context or practical reason. Yeah, ninth grade was the year that I learned the meaning of education, the importance of the human need for dignity, respect, and compassion, and its absence where children go to grow and learn. Hey, visionaries. So I know that as adults, it's it's common to look back at negative experiences and say things like, well, it was good enough for me, so it's good enough for my child, or it happened to me and I turned out okay. But this is hardly ever true. Even if we grew and learned from it, trauma is trauma and it is not good enough and turning out okay is not enough. As we kick off this school year, Let's ask ourselves what we would like our young people to remember when they look back at school, whether it's in a building or behind a screen. If we have a right to insist that they show up, they have a right to insist that we see them. Part of seeing them comes with the wisdom of determining what lessons they'll be taught, ensuring that the lessons align with our vision for their educational experiences and If the lesson is even a lesson or just another incident, another symptom of the sickness, and I ain't talking about the COVID. As always, my visionaries, I invite you to subscribe, follow, rate, and review. But more than that, I just want to thank you for leaning in and listening. Whether you're educators or parents, I wish you a year of seeing and being seen and heard. And in the meantime, and until next time, stay well. Stay wonderful and stay calm.